0: Welcome to Hard Currency, the podcast from the Financial Times on the $5 trillion foreign exchange market and other parts of the market. I'm Roger Blitz, and this week we've seen Three big market moves, a pretty strong recovery in the dollar, the much-watched US Treasury 10-year yield hitting 3% for the first time in four years, and oil at $75 a barrel. Now, are these big market shifts here to stay, or are they a mere hiccup and a pause? Our guest this week is Bill McQuaker, Multi-Asset Portfolio Manager at Fidelity International. Bill, which of those three really interests you?
1: I think for me, the the most significant of those three developments is the move to 3% on the 10-year treasury. It's something that has been brewing for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in investors, I think there's certainly a group of investors who see this as a clear signal that the 35-year uh, bull market in yes. fixed income is, is finally behind us. Yes. You say it's
0: been brewing quite a while. It's been brewing a long time. And is it just a a number? In other words, is it something psychological, a round number? What, or is this is anything particularly significant about
1: 3%? I I think the reality is it's just a number. Yeah. But one should look at it in a broader context. Um, long-term interest rates in the US have moved up. Short-term interest rates, if you, if you look at two-year government bonds, yields there are back where they were prior to the global financial crisis. Yes. So the whole interest rate Curve uh, has repriced in the US, yes. and, and this is
0: this is something I like. No, I more. mean, the problem I have is, is the reason why I ask that question. Is it just a number? Is that is it is it actually you know a number that helps fit the narrative of what what you described? How how that group of investors see it. You know, the end end of a end of that bond bull market. I mean, is it fitting a narrative rather than actually something something that is actually really happening?
1: I think it's reflecting things that have really happened in the world. So, yeah. in, in terms of what's gotten this year, there's been quite a, an unwinding of the global policy stance, quantitative yes. easing. Uh, ended and actually reversed in the US uh, about to end in in, in Europe. Yes. Uh, short I'll come term, I'll come back
0: to that it, question about it, to end but go it, on.
1: Indeed, <laughs> um short-term interest rates uh, ha- having already gone up a fair way in the US. Uh, in terms of global growth, the global growth story has been very good yes. uh, the the last 2 years. Yeah. And and perhaps most importantly in terms of this most recent move, the oil prices you mentioned yes. in your introduction has has moved up quite meaningfully and that's beginning to feed into people's uh, expectations for inflation, at least in the short run. So that, that it's not just a number. There's a narrative okay. behind it
0: that I think goes some way to justifying it. OK, having put uh, you on the spot once, Bill, I've got to put you on the spot again, because this is a question about the oil price. I mean, this is, uh, again, significant in a, in the short term. Perspective, but the long term, say five to ten years, the story of oil is is structurally weak, is it not? And that therefore is is this just you know the oil bulls perhaps having their last their last hurrah?
1: That may well be the case, but there are times in markets where. What's going to happen over the next 5 to 10 years is important, and there are times when it's what's going to happen over the next quarter or two is yes. important. And I think at the moment we should be focusing on the short run, although the, how the short run plays into the medium term could turn out to be tremendously important. So if we if we look at what's caused the oil price to rally, mm-hmm. the oil price has rallied because OPEC's got a grip on, on output. Um, shale that was supposed to be deliver, able to deliver unending quantities of oil at the touch of a button hasn't been quite as flexible. As people expected, countries like Venezuela have seen production fall and continuing to fall. And the reality is that the the global oil market is quite tight. Looking to the future, I think a very important question for markets is, Will we see another meaningful ratcheting up in oil price in the short run okay. that could destabilise medium-term inflation expectations?
0: Right, because I, I, I want to ask you about what all this means. But you could argue that, you know since the, the January euphoria in equities, we've had a little bit of a slowdown. If you, if as you say, these two, it's important moments: the three-year, the three percent moment at yield, oil at seventy-five percent, are going to be market drivers. Then great. I mean, this is what the market has been waiting for for the last. Few weeks, isn't it? All oh, this is quite good. Is it quite good, or is it quite worrying? Because oil throws up all sorts of in- yeah. inflation concerns. I, I
1: I think these developments, uh, on balance, are more worrying than they are encouraging. Oh dear! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the the put. Downward pressure on asset prices, a higher, higher discount rate is yes. is not particularly helpful, and you're perhaps seeing that feeding through into the valuation of the uh, the fangs, the high the high growth stocks that have been so mm-hmm. important for equities, and a higher oil price um, is is a bit of an impediment to economic growth. You know why why did the Why was the recovery so strong in sixteen and seventeen? One of the reasons is the oil price went very low. Yes. Now from the bottom we're up one hundred and forty, hundred and fifty percent. That's quite a big rise in the oil price and that that takes some demand out of the global economy. So I, I I look to the next quarter or two and I see quite a variety of cross current currents that are likely to maintain financial market volatility at these yes. elevated levels.
0: You see, I thought we, we actually wanted some some inflation and I thought that's we wanted inflation because we wanted central banks to start raising rates we wanted them to get back into a position whereby they could start cutting rates when, you know rather than being in this zero bound area and actually we, um, we, we should be helping to push forward whereas what's been happening is that just the slight softening in some of the data is causing some of this policy normalisation that you talked yeah. about earlier on to actually start being pushed back and back and back The result being that rather than talking about policy convergence, we're now looking at a policy divergent world. Well, I I think
1: you're slightly ahead of the game in saying that policy uh, normalisation is already being pushed back and back and back. But can I see the door opening to that possibility Mm -hmm. because of these developments? Could be, but I I would contend that we're we're not there yet. So what happens over the next quarter or two is going to be quite important. The way that I would... Contextualise it. The framework that I think is important here is that we have some big structural forces that, for the last ten years and more, have made it very difficult for interest rates to pick up at all. And I'm thinking here about the quantity of debt in the world, uh, the demographics of the world, where there's a there's a savings glut and there's a shortage of of projects for that that money to be mm-hmm. invested in. So the cost of capital was kind of pinned to the ground, and we we had today. Uh, capital goods data out of the United States, and the the tax cut was supposed to cause a bit of a a, a boom in capital spending, flat as a pancake. So, so those structural forces, I, I think, are in place but they've been challenged by the the cyclical momentum in the data so it's a clash of forces yes. and
0: and the the question is who's going to win well and 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 what we haven't mentioned uh, listeners might be surprised we haven't mentioned it yet is the European Central Bank meeting and what Mario Draghi yes. said yes. i mean you know one of the great classic uh, sitting on the fence statements from Draghi today, um, so to to your very point, really, you know that yeah, we we yeah. investors need to just a little bit more data to understand what's really happening.
1: Investors and, and central banks, and uh, I, I think my interpretation of what uh, Draghi said today is it was an exercise in, in holding the line. Yes. Uh, the, the ECBs laid out a path to normalisation. They acknowledged there's some deterioration in the data in the near term, but they were keener to emphasise why that was likely to be temporary, why it wasn't that significant, because it's, it's a bit early to abandon the, the, mm. the normalisation narrative that they laid out. One or two more issues in, in
0: both directions... Could uh, could see that change, the uh, the dollar rising. Um, do, do you do you see that as a, as, a, as a turning point, significant?
1: I I think at this stage it's more of a market driven event than it is driven by fundamentals at work in the world. Right. Um, investors are pretty short the dollar, and the the narratives that have seen the dollar sell off, I think, are now very well established in in yes. the market psyche, and and so anything that, that, that comes along that maybe suggests a uh, reason for a bit of dollar strength like the slowdown in europe uh, has has allowed it to move move in that direction yes. and and 3% on the U- us 10 year bonds has put a bit of pressure on emerging market currencies yes. and and that's been consistent with dollar strength for for that to to really gain ground i i think the the slowdown narrative has to get a bit more traction because there is scope, there definitely is room for a completely new story about the dollar to uh, to gain prominence. And that would be the U.S. is still growing when other countries are slowing, mm-hmm. thanks to the tax cut. And the U.S. has got a very considerable interest rate differential versus the likes of Europe and the U.K. and Japan yes. that investors have willfully ignored through the, the global economic, economic upswing. But if things are slowing down, maybe that becomes maybe important that becomes... again.
0: But but you would say that the foreign exchange market at the moment is a what a bystander in in the broader market, or
1: I I, I see more interesting things elsewhere as as captured by uh, by yes. this discussion. But FX is never uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't stay in the uh, in the corner for for too long.
0: Bill, just finally, you're you're just back from China. I am. Um, tell us about uh, the, what, what 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 were your big takeaways from there? Well, I. I went expecting
1: uh, to to be focused on the slowdown in China, and I came back thinking hard about the trade dispute between China and the U.S. Uh, the the trade story is more complicated than I thought, and more troubling than I thought, quite frankly. Right. The the perspective that I I came away with is that the U.S. sees this in one or two ways. One uh, possibility is that they are tired of an un even playing field that is too beneficial to China. So things like uh, forced technology yes. transfer, forced joint ventures to enter the Chinese market, the US wants to to see those done away with. So it's a more level playing field. If if that's the case, then that's not a particularly welcome development for for Chinese companies and for China because it will likely slow the pace of development. Yes. And while I, while I was there, a uh, a company called ZTE was was sanctioned. The US announced that they might not sell it uh, some, some sure. chips, and the reaction uh, amongst the the Chinese that I met was quite interesting. The, the, there was a sense that this was this was unfair, that uh, inappropriate behaviour, that China should uh, in, ensure that it invests aggressively so that it can't be held to ransom in this way. And uh, there is some history of, of the Chinese population reacting badly to, uh, to developments outside China. I remember recently uh, the, the South Koreans announced that they were going to install some anti-ballistic missile systems and Chinese people stopped buying South Korean cosmetics. If Chinese people stop buying iPhones, then I think that's the mechanism, that's the type of mechanism that sees these trade disputes escalate.
0: Well, next week we will, I mean, Donald Trump is sending Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, to China to yeah, try and, uh, and smooth these things out. We will see how they develop. My thanks to Bill McQuaker of Fidelity. Also next week, the Fed meeting, unquestionably the key market event to follow. Join us again to discuss what we learned from Jay Pound's latest views on the U.S. economy and indeed the global economy. Until then, from hard currency, it's goodbye. Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com.